Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we ask that you, the Godhead, would be preeminent in our service this morning, in our time together. We ask that the truth of uh, you, Lord God, would be known and made known uh, from our passage this morning, that you would uh, correct the foolishness of your servant and speak only the truth that you would have spoken. Lord, it's in your precious and holy Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Like I said, Genesis chapter 42, verse 1. Uh, when Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? And he said, Behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers, or yeah, ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So today we are going to look at a, an even longer passage than we looked at last week. And last week I said that, that you're all you know, responsible adults that can pay attention while we read a whole chapter of Scripture. But today we're going to cover two chapters of Scripture, and they're not short chapters of Scripture. And, and I want to be able to say something about it. So um, if I read it, it's going to take about 15 to 20 minutes, and I won't have time to say anything. Um, not that not that you don't need to hear this passage of scripture, but I'm I'm confident that if I give you this charge, right, you'll go home and you'll read it, because uh, most of you have Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, come talk to me. I'll give you a Bible. I have lots of them. Um, you can read it at home, chapters 42 and 43. Now, the reason why we're going to cover two chapters today uh, is because really chapters 42 to 45, so four whole chapters, are one kind of condensed unit, um, or not really condensed, I guess lengthy unit, I should say. Um, but the story it, from chapter 42 to 45 is, is one cohesive unit. It's not, it's not broken up really into many different parts. There are a number of things that we could talk about within the story, but, but there's, there's really one message, right? Uh, and that one message we don't, we don't kind of see or hear until we get to chapter 45, but chapters 42, 43, uh, and, and mostly 44 are, are set up. They prepare us for what's going to take place in chapter 45, which is, which is arguably one of the most important chapters of the entire book of Genesis, where Joseph kind of finally comes to this realization that what, what his brothers meant for evil, God meant for good, or, or put in, into more theological terms, uh, the, the, the idea of God being sovereignly in control. This is really what we see, and, and I've suggested in the past, and I'll continue to suggest that the book of Genesis, the culmination of the book of Genesis, is the story of Joseph. Genesis 1 through 11, the creation account, is good, it's important, it's teaching us something about who God is, 
uh, the story of Abraham's simple faith teaches us about how we should have simple faith. And at the same time, the story of Jacob being one who wrestles with God is also very important to us. But, but the story of Joseph, Joseph not being the story about a man who is, who is uh, perseverant, but the story of God being sovereign is the point of Genesis. God is in control, even when God doesn't seem to be in control. And so that's really what we're getting to here over the next couple weeks, verses 42 to 45, in one kind of continuous story. And so a lot of the things that I'm going to say today are going to get repeated over the next couple weeks. And that's okay, because I think we all know how things need to be repeated to us before we actually grasp them. So let's look at the story. We've got a lot to cover, and and I can guarantee you that there are many, many things that I'm not going to dwell on. Uh, and then I may even just completely skip over. But again, I would encourage you uh, sometime this week at the at the longest, but, but maybe even today, go home and read verses 42 to, to really 45, but 42, 43 in particular. So verses 1 to 5 set us up for the task at hand. Set the stage at its very basic level. Jacob, Joseph's father, the father of the 12 sons of, of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, the namesake of Israel. Uh, in fact, Jacob is renamed by God Israel, and that's why Israel is called Israel. Um, Jacob, he learns in the midst of the famine that, that Egypt has food. Egypt has grain. Uh, Jacob, or Joseph, excuse me, in the previous chapter, we learned that Joseph interpreted some dreams for Pharaoh and gave his advice. You need to put somebody smart in charge of the of the years of abundance, and when the years of famine come, then you can have grain so that people might live. Because the reality is, is that you can survive one year of famine. You can live without any pre- previous preparation. You can live in one year of famine by finding little things here and there to sustain life. But after seven years of very harsh famine, so much so that it's going to make you forget the seven years of plenty beforehand, everybody will die. It's really that simple. And so Joseph is put in charge over the land of Egypt, over all of the food storages, and he does apparently does a pretty excellent job. He has great power and great status in the land of Egypt next to only Pharaoh. Pharaoh is the only person more important and more powerful. And then we get to the beginning of 42, and Jacob hears it. I think I might have been saying Jacob the whole time. It's Joseph. Pardon me if I did. Jacob realizes that there's food in Egypt, so he turns to his he turns to his sons. Now there are eleven sons with him still. He turns to his sons. He says, "Go. What are you standing around looking at each other for? Go to the land of Egypt and get food, so that we might live and not die." Right. This this goes to our the realization that this is very serious famine, and so Jacob sends ten brothers. The first question that we might ask is, why 10? Uh, you know, don't you think you could just send one or two and, and they'd be able to get enough food for the... The trip to Egypt is a, is a lengthy one. And Jacob's household is, ma- is massive, right? He's got, he's got 11 sons. Many of them are married, having children of their own. He's got flocks and herds that he has to feed. He's got... He, he in himself, his family in itself is a village, and so he's going to send 10 people to go buy food for the whole village for a decent amount of time. Probably six months to a year is what the, the goal would be because it takes 
a couple months to travel to Egypt and travel back. And so they're, they're almost completely out of food. And before they completely run out of food, he sends his sons. They go get some food. And he sends ten of them. But he doesn't send his youngest, Benjamin. And this indicates for us Joseph or Jacob's, um, Jacob's very, uh, very really unhealthy attachment that he has to his son, Benjamin. Jacob loved Joseph more than his other sons. We see this in the very first few chapters of Joseph's story. He gives him a coat of many colors, indicating that he is going to be the one who inherits the family wealth. Yes, the other sons will get their stuff, but it's, it's through Joseph that the lineage is going to continue. He's, he's the firstborn son of his, of his preferred wife, Rachel, and all this. There's all these things that we learn in the first couple chapters about Jacob and Joseph's relationship, how it's really pretty unhealthy, and it, and it harms his relationship with his other sons, and and it harms the relationship between Joseph's brothers and Joseph, and, and to the point where eventually he's sold into slavery and presumed to be dead. Right? And this is this is the beginning of very bad situation for Joseph. And again, we see again Benjamin has has a very similar relationship with his father, probably even more so because he's worried that he might lose Benjamin, like he lost Joseph. There's food. I'm going to send as many sons as I can, but we're going to keep back Benjamin because I couldn't, I couldn't bear to live life without my son Benjamin, which, which really, again, goes to the, the, the really poor relationship he must have with his other ten sons because the reality is, is, is anything could happen to his ten sons, and, and that's less devastating to him than even if just one of his sons goes missing. Not good stuff. Verse 6 shows us that Joseph is governor and here's where I'm going to start paraphrasing a little bit. Joseph, he's governor over the land. He's the one in charge of the of the, of the food. And uh, as Joseph's ten brothers make it into Egypt, we read, and he was uh, he was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. We've been waiting for this particular moment since chapter 37. Joseph has this dream in chapter 37. Hey. My 11 brothers are going to bow down to me and, and I'm going to be honored in, in, their, in their presence. And his brothers hate him for it. The very first thing that happens when they re-encounter their brother, now the, the 10 brothers don't realize that this is Joseph, but we'll find in just a second that Joseph does know his brothers. The very moment that they re-encounter each other, they bow down to Joseph. Again, this indicates for us a, a number of things. This isn't, isn't God's plan coming into action? Is God's plan coming into action? Number two, uh, Joseph, Joseph really has to, be, has to be confirmed here. And all the things and all the trials and all the struggles that he's gone through, he finally has maybe a confirmation that, look, this was God's plan from the very beginning. It says in verse 7, Joseph sees his brothers and he immediately recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Well, this is, this is probably uh, easily, easily thought through. Joseph has been in the land of Egypt for 20, 20 years, 21 years at this point. Uh, Joseph is 17 when he's sold into slavery. He's 30 when he comes into, into Pharaoh's uh, court. So that's 17 years there, then, then this, or not 17 years, 17, 13 years, and then seven more years of famine, and then at least perhaps a year of famine. It's about 21 years. 20, 21 years. He's been in a foreign place 
under under a foreign sun, right? You know that when you go to Florida, you get a different kind of suntan when you get even when you lay out here. Not that I lay out and tan myself, but it's just different. It's different weather. It's a different different kind of atmosphere. There's different different pollution in the skies and that kind of stuff. The same is true in the ancient world. He's got he's under a different sun. He wears different clothes. He shaves. The, you know, the Hebrew people don't really shave. The Egyptians, they shaved, except for maybe sometimes a little beard. He's got, he's got fancy clothes on. And Joseph, Joseph is, 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 he's not forgotten. We'll find that in just a second. He's not forgotten, but he's, he's certainly thought to be gone, dead, or, or at least so obscure away that there's no way that this important person is there. Even if there was a hint of it in their minds, they would have immediately thrown it away. But Joseph, he's got 10 examples of his brothers who, yes, have aged for 20 years, but aged to 20 years in the same place. They're going from their mid, uh, from their 20s to their 40s and 50s, as opposed to Joseph going from 17 to almost his 40s. There's a big difference in what's going on. And Joseph, again, has, has 10 brothers to figure it out with. He knows they're from the land of Canaan, so maybe he's expecting it. And so he sees his brother. He immediately recognizes his brothers. And it says that he spoke harshly to them, roughly. He treated them like strangers. At this particular moment, we ask the question, what is, what is Joseph's purpose or attitude? Is Joseph treating his brothers cruelly or harshly or roughly, whatever term you want to use, because he's mad and he wants to get revenge? Maybe. Or is he testing them so that he can see maybe where their attitude is? Have they changed at all since, uh, since they sold me into slavery? Maybe. The, the reality is that the text of Scripture doesn't actually tell us. It just tells us what he does. He's, he sees them and he immediately starts to treat them roughly. And, and perhaps... There's a little bit of all of that. And maybe there's things, there's other emotions that we don't get to see necessarily. So he, he treats them roughly. He treats them like strangers. What, he, what he's not doing is saying, hey, it's me, it's Joseph. He doesn't come out and show them who he is. He, he allows them to not know. He says, where do you come from? We're from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph says, no, you're spies. He immediately accuses them of being spies. Again, is he being malicious or is he testing? As we progress through this story, it seems like he's testing, but it's really hard to overlook the fact that he was sold into slavery 20 years ago by his brothers. It would be really difficult to imagine any person, no matter how humbled they are by the sovereignty of God, to believe that that person would have no ill feelings towards his brother. So he accused them of being spies. And in so doing, they respond with, verse 13, something really quite interesting. They're, they're trying to defend themselves. Verse 11, they say, you know what, we're honest men. We're your servants, we're not spies. Verse 13, it says, you, we, are, we, your servants, are twelve brothers. So interesting to me. We are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Now the question is, why on earth would they say this? Why are they still making reference to a brother who has been gone for 20 years? 
I think what we see as the story progresses, again, as the story progresses, that they still feel the weight of what they did to their brother. It's going to play into the story. We had 12, we are 12 brothers, and one of them is gone. Our youngest is with their father. Eventually, Joseph puts them in prison, keeps them there for three days. He, at first, he says, okay, you're going, to, you're going to send one of your brothers back. Nine of you are going to stay here in prison. One of you is going to go back, get Benjamin, prove your story. Then he decides a little bit later, no, instead, instead of that, what we're going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to keep one of your brothers. I'm going to send the rest of you back with your food so that nobody dies. And then you bring your brother back, proving, that, proving your innocence, and then I'll let you go home with, with the brother that I'll keep. As they're, as they're discussing this, as all these things are taking effect, Joseph's brothers, who don't believe that Joseph knows how to speak Hebrew, they start talking to each other, told there's an interpreter between them, and so they, they, there's no reason why they would think that this Egyptian uh, ruler would know Hebrew. I mean, why would he know that? It's a tiny little, tiny little language in the middle of nowhere, many, many miles away. And Reuben speaks to his brother and says, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, the boy being Joseph? But you did not listen to me. And so now here comes a reckoning for his blood. We are 12 brothers. One of them is no more. Reuben says, Look, this is, this is God's punishment to us for what we did all those years ago. Joseph heard this and he turned and he wept. He takes Simeon, puts him in prison, and sends the other brother. He says, go home, get Benjamin, come back, and I'll know that you are not spies. So they go home. They get home. As they get home, they have a few discussions on the way as they get home. They tell their dad what has taken place. They open up their bags. And what has happened, all the money that they spent on the food is put back in their bags. In essence, they just stole a lot of food. Or at least this is what it would seem to the Egyptians, who already didn't really have a very good relationship with you. They accuse you of being spies, and now your food is still in your bags. How did this happen? I can tell you right now that if this was happening to me, if I was Reuben or Judah or, or any of the other brothers, I think I would be pretty panicked. This guy's not going to believe that this money just happened to fall back into our bags. I mean, come on. These guys have a tight ship running over there in Egypt. They know what they're doing. They're feeding the whole world at this point. They're not, they're not accidentally dropping money back into the bags. And the reality is that Joseph told him to put the money back in the bags. It was a purposeful thing to, again, either to taunt them or to teach them a lesson or to test them. What? We, don't, we don't know. So they say to their brother, they tell a story to their dad. And he's, he's like, and when they, when they and their father saw their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me. This is verse 36. You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. Now he would take Benjamin? All this has come against me. Notice that Joseph, Joseph is no more. We, we get that. It's been 20 years. 
there's a there's a plan. There's a hey, if you if you bring Benjamin back, we'll let Simeon go home. And and Joseph goes or Jacob goes. Oh, he's he's gone. He's no more. He well, he's not coming back. Clearly, you can't trust this Egyptian's word. I mean, why would you trust the Egyptian's word if you're if you're Jacob? And, and the bereavement of his of losing Joseph is is too much to bear. Even twenty years later, and and now you want to now you want to take Benjamin. And then Reuben speaks up. He says, kill my two sons if anything happens. Reuben recognizes the state of his father's emotions. Apparently it's better that, 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 that Jacob would find revenge than to lose his son, Benjamin. He says, no, nobody's going. Nobody's going down. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. And part of you goes, well, you've got to get food, don't you? But, but they don't know that it's seven years of famine. Right? Jacob and his family doesn't know that it's going to be seven years of famine. So maybe Jacob's just like, you know what? Okay, cut, cut our losses. Simeon, sorry, you weren't one of my favorites anyway, so it doesn't really matter. This famine will soon break. We'll, we'll survive. We've got enough food. And then chapter 43 happens. The realization that the famine continued. Now the famine was severe in the land. Not, it's not just a famine, but it's a, it's a harsh famine. It's a horrible famine. And they've eaten almost all of the food. And Jacob finally looks to his sons and he says, okay, you've got to go. I mean, if, if, if Benjamin dies from hunger, it's no, it's no different than if he dies in the other way. So we've got to send Judah comes to him. He says, look, we've got to go buy food. We've got to go buy food. He says, put him in my charge. I... Solemnly, I, I, I solemnly swear to you, in other words, that I'll protect your son. I will not let anything happen to him. And he finally relents. So they go back. They go back, and Jacob sees his brother Benjamin. He says, Oh, they brought him. Take him into the house. Into, into presumably Joseph's, Joseph's home, probably a, a palace, a large place. Take him into the house. Now Joseph's ten brothers have been accused of being spies, have been sent home with food and, and the money that they paid for the food, and now have returned with Benjamin. Their father has kind of convinced them that something bad is, is inevitably going to happen. And, and, Jake, and Joseph turns the switch. He goes from being he goes from being attacking and, and accusatory and, 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 and hey you gotta you gotta do this stuff to hey come on into my house and so naturally the brothers are like well wait a minute this doesn't seem this seems more like a trap and so they go to the the master of the house the servant of the house and they say hey what's going on and he says no no you're good they say well we found our money no no we got your money must have been your god putting money back in your bags. Do not be afraid, your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money, verse 23 of chapter 43. Let's look at 40, verses 46 to 34, or not 46, 26 to 34 for a second. Let's read this together. I think this is important. Verse 26, and when Joseph came home, He's probably out selling food. 
They brought into the house to him the present that they had uh, with them and bowed down to them, bowed down to him to the ground. Look, there's 37 again, chapter 37. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man whom you spoke? Is he alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm for his brother, and he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. And he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. And they served him by himself and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according uh, to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. So interesting to me, Joseph's attitude here. It's so it's almost annoying because you don't really, we don't get to know. What is he thinking? His first encounter with his brothers, he's harsh, he's rough. His second encounter with these brothers, he's, he's polite, he's kind, he's beating them. Like, this is not a normal activity for anybody, right? For anybody in, in, in the whole of Egypt, right? They, they're not even allowed to eat with each other because it's, it's an abomination. He's not, he's not eating with people who come and buy bread with him, from him. This is a complete and total 180 degree turn. What's happening? There's immense confusion. And, and again, you see Joseph, Joseph kind of shows his knowledge. Like, what, what do you think the brothers are saying at this point? We're in, we're in order of birth from oldest to youngest. How did this happen? Right? I'm sure they're still thinking about the retribution of God or the reckoning of God. Maybe this is another sign. Look, uh, God knows what's going on. Who knows? It's horribly confusing for them. And then Benjamin? Benjamin gets five times as much food? This isn't just because Benjamin is a growing boy. This is, this is a blessing being bestowed upon Benjamin. Oh, what's, what's happening? Joseph and Benjamin, there's, there's, there's confusion on when Benjamin is born. Is he born before Joseph? Is sold into slavery. He's born after Joseph is sold into slavery. We don't really know. My guess is that he's born before they are sold into slavery, but he's very young. Doesn't really matter that much. Regardless of that, it's been 20 years since Joseph has seen his brother Benjamin. Joseph and Benjamin either have never met or are especially close. Again, we have to think about the, the, the magnitude of, of Jacob's uh, family, the realities of how the family unit would have worked in the ancient world. They probably would have lived in separate tents, meaning the, the sons of Rachel would have been in Rachel's tent, and the sons of Leah would have been in Leah's tent, and the sons of the, of the servants would have been in their tents. So these brothers are probably not all equally close. Benjamin would have been special to Joseph. 
And Benjamin would have been doubly special if he had not been born before Joseph was sold into slavery. And this is a new brother. And we see the emotion of Joseph when he, he sees his brother and he's, his compassion grows hot. And he runs away and he weeps because he can't control himself. I think what Jacob, what Joseph is doing here in this particular part of the story is he's, he's setting the stage for next week. And I won't, I won't talk too much about next week's passage because we're going to talk about that next week. I think Joseph is setting the stage for Benjamin to be, uh, or for his, for, again, for his ten brothers to be tested according to how they treat Benjamin. Now he's going to, he knows that Benjamin is getting special treatment from his father because he doesn't come on the first journey. And now he's going to give him special honor at the table. He's going to give him additional food. And, and in chapter 44, we're going to see that Benjamin is going to find something very dangerous in his bag whenever they leave. And then he's going to be uh, arrested again. And, and we see the defense of his brothers at this point. And I think this is what ultimately Joseph is looking for. What is this story getting at? What are we? What is Joseph learning in this story? Again, I'll remind us of what we see in chapter forty-five. Joseph, he, he finally he finally reveals himself to his brothers. He says, "What you guys meant for for evil, God meant for good." But I don't think he knows this yet. I think he's still learning something. I think he's still he's still living based on his emotions. I think he I think he, no matter what's happening, if he's if he's maliciously attacking his brothers, trying to get revenge, or if he's trying to teach them a lesson, or if he's just testing them, it's still based on Joseph's emotions. Turn back to to forty one for just a second, chapter forty one and and, and and verses fifty one and fifty two. Joseph has two children. Wes and I were talking about this, so I've got to give credit to Wes on this. He's, he's the one who noticed this, and I think this kind of connects this story for us. In verse 41, Joseph, he names his firstborn Manasseh. And then, and then he says, For God has made me forget all my hardships in all my father's house. This is essentially what Manasseh means. This is what, this is what his name symbolizes. He says, Hey, I've forgotten. Because of the blessing that God has given to me, I've forgotten my father's house. I've forgotten the trouble here. And then he has a second son. He calls him Ephraim. And he says, he says, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Joseph thinks he's made it. He thinks, he thinks that he is, he's come to the point where he has made it out of all his hardships. And now he's got prosperity. He's got wealth. He's got, he's got stuff. He's got status. He suffered through all this stuff. He remained faithful through all this stuff, and now God is finally rewarding him with good things in return. Isn't that wonderful? And, and, and just moments later, who walks into his life? Uh, his family. You know what happened when that happened? You know, you know what human nature tells us happened when that happened? It's like getting punched in the gut. Oh, I thought I was past this. Oh, I thought... I thought, wait a minute. I thought I had moved past this struggle. I thought I moved past this affliction. But no, no, I gotta, I gotta endure this. I gotta endure this a little bit. Well, what does that mean? What is, perhaps. Now let me let me speak theologically for just a second, doctrinally for just a second. Perhaps the Bible's definition of blessing is not money. 
Or, or God's definition of plan is not prosperity. I'm sorry, it's not. It's so much more. Right? We think that, we think that oh man, God's going to bless us like he blessed the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's going to give us wealth. No. That's not what the blessing of God was on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the Israelites. No, the blessing was what was going to come through their family. Joseph, he goes through all this struggle. He, he perseveres through all this struggle, not so that he can end up at the other side better off than he was before, which is pretty hard to do whenever you're from the lineage of Jacob. Jacob has tons of stuff. He's extremely wealthy. His family has been, has been rocking the land of Canaan for, for three generations now. And he goes into the land of, of Egypt and he suffers for, 20, or for 13 years, 17 years. And finally, he finds a place of stability and wealth. So much so that his wealth has now, oh man, he, he, he's going to be so much more wealthy than Jacob ever could have dreamed. That's not the point though. Jacob, Jake, Joseph, he thinks it's the point. Excuse me, I keep going back and forth between their names. Joseph, he thinks that's it. He names his sons to reflect that. And then this story happens. What, what is the point of Joseph's suffering? God's blessing is never about the money. It's about what comes through us. Scripture from start to finish teaches, teaches us something very important, very profound. It's what colors the entirety of the Bible. God is in control, and his control brings reconciliation. In Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning of the story, man rebels against God. We rebel against God. And the rest of the Bible is God's continuous purposed effort, work to bring us back. Which means that all of God's blessings, all of God's blessings are for the purpose of finding restoration, redemption, salvation. Joseph, I'm going to get ahead of myself and I'm going to repeat myself over the next couple of weeks. Joseph realizes this in chapter 45. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. Not that I'm going to get a bunch of stuff. That I would be the person that God used to rescue mankind. That's good stuff, right? That's better than wealth. I think it is. To see God working his plan in this world and and to know that that suffering isn't pointless. That trial isn't just for money. I guarantee you that there's not a single person in this this whole room or in this whole world that that would ever say, you know what, if I went through a terrible suffering, a terrible loss, but... But God said, you know what? I'm going to give you money at the end. I bet you none of us would rather have that money at the end. We'd rather have our family members. But if we we're going to say, wait a minute. Now, let's, let's see what God does in mankind. God, God, God sends his son Jesus into this world. Not so that at the end of it, all of his creation would be, would be prosperous and have money. But to redeem them and to bring them back into, his, into a relationship with him. Jesus comes to this earth, he suffers, he, he toils, he, he has pain and sorrow, and he, he weeps and he cries. 
he does so not because he wants to bring wealth to his disciples, but because he wants to bring salvation to his disciples. I think that's a far better reward, a far better blessing. But I think in conclusion, I think it's difficult. Right? I think, I think there, are, there are too many times when we try to, we try to ease, the, ease the suffering of life. Like Life is, is hard. Joseph, in this, in this story, from chapter 37 to about chapter 38, Joseph is the primary character of the story. And he weeps three times in the story. He weeps when he hears Reuben defend him, or say he tried to defend him. He weeps when he sees his brother Benjamin, and he weeps finally when he breaks down and says, hey, I'm Joseph. Joseph doesn't weep when he's sold into slavery. He doesn't weep whenever he's, he's betrayed by his, his master Potiphar, or by his master's wife uh, in Potiphar's house. He, he, he doesn't weep whenever he is forgotten in prison for two more years. He doesn't weep when all of this other stuff happens, but, but, but he weeps when he finally starts to see what God is doing. He weeps when he finally starts to see what God is doing. God's plan is always and will always be, has always been and will always be, to work salvation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your work on the cross. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your plan. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your revelation to us. We thank you that you, God, are a God of salvation. A God who doesn't end with blessing us with things, but ends with blessing us with eternity with you. That your work on this earth is not temporal but it was eternal. Lord, we thank you that you use us. And we ask that you would give us strength when we have to endure uh, trouble as Joseph endured, as Moses endured, as David endured, as your son Jesus endured. Lord, we know that you uh, paid the ultimate price. You suffered the ultimate suffering in sending your son, your only son, to this earth to find redemption, to find, to bring redemption, rather. Or give us strength through the power of your Spirit in us to be bold and to be willing to see difficulty and suffering in this world as a means for you to bring salvation. That we can declare in the same breath that Joseph declared it, that, that what Satan, what evil means for evil, you work for good. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for your sovereign work. And we pray this in your precious and holy Son, Jesus' name. Amen.